Welcome to Commercializing Living Therapies with CCRM. In this podcast, we'll be engaging with cell and gene therapy industry experts and influencers and sharing insider insights, information, and trends. CCRM is a leader in developing and commercializing regenerative medicine-based technologies and cell and gene therapies. I'm your host, Krista Lamb, and on today's episode, we'll be discussing problems and solutions in sourcing talent, education, and training in the cell and gene therapy space. Our guests today are Christine Allen, Vice President of Ecosystem Development at Admary Bioinnovations, and Professor Kasim Rafiq, an Associate Professor in Cell and Gene Therapy Bioprocess Engineering at University College London. So welcome to the show. We're really happy to have both of you here today. First, let's hear about your current roles. Christine, can you tell us a bit about Admary Bioinnovations and what you do there? Absolutely. Admary Bioinnovations uh, is an organization, not-for-profit organization, committed to building ecosystems, companies, and talent uh, across the country. And their mission is uh, to see or to support Canadian life sciences leading a world. And I began in this inaugural uh, role in July of this year. Uh, So I'm the new vice president ecosystem development. And in this role, I oversee their innovation centers in Vancouver and Montreal. I also oversee a new national accelerator program that we're soon to be launching, as well as the Admari Academy. Wonderful. And Kasim, UCL recently launched an MSc program in the manufacture and commercialization of stem cell and gene therapy. And I would love it if you could tell us a little bit about that and your role in it. Absolutely. So um, we launched a program back in uh, during COVID, actually, during 2020 uh, was when we took our first cohort. And the, the focus of the program is probably one of the longest uh, titles at UCL for any master's program, but it's deliberately titled in that way because we wanted to focus not just on stem cells and regenerative medicine and, and cell and gene therapy from a scientific perspective, but really to address some of the, the translational manufacturing and commercial challenges that we face within the sector. And so that program was designed really to, to, to introduce to students the not just the science but ultimately how we're going to get these therapies to market how we're going to get them to patients and how we're going to overcome some of the issues that we're facing in order to do that and i don't know that everyone understands that there really is a need for more workers in the gene therapy space and why is that christine did you want to start well, I think we've seen, you know, the tremendous success of the mRNA vaccines uh, over the last few years. And this has just shone such a light on the potential of, of mRNA therapies, of gene therapies. Uh, and there's just so much activity now in this area. Um, so I, I, I just can't even tell you how many people contact me on a regular basis. I'm a drug delivery scientist as well. Um, and so many, many people now interested in formulation of mRNA uh, as an example. Uh, so there's just a, a renewed interest, uh, an exciting interest uh, in this area now. And Kasim, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think for, for me, when you look at the I would say the explosion of activity within cell and gene therapy. I mean, I I began in this field back in kind of 2007, 2008, and it wasn't really until kind of the, you know, 2015, 16, obviously with the approval of Kim Ryo in 2017, that we we really got to see just how... uh, active the sector is um, and really you know the, the number of roles that are now being demanded by industry to be filled um, it's certainly an opportunity I think for young scientists and engineers to develop their careers within this sector and it's a very exciting point of the, of the industry because I think there's so much 
change and, and pace in the terms of the technology development, as well as the, the scientific advances. I mean, we've seen things like CRISPR-Cas9 and gene editing, but ultimately, even you know, post-COVID, uh, we saw, as, as, as Christian alluded to, the, the opportunities around mRNA uh, gene therapies and mRNA delivery and lipid nanoparticles. So for me, I think it really is uh, great to see the amount of activity, but that does demand that we focus on training and skills because we need people to take on those roles and ultimately, moving forward, take on future leadership positions within the sector. And Kasim, just to build on that a little bit, what should the industry be doing to encourage more people to get involved in this space and to consider this field? Are there things they should be considering? I think it's now being recognised by industry that we need to address this gap. And I think many companies now have, I mean, large pharma and big farmers always had kind of uh, talent training and retention schemes. But I think many of the companies within the cell and gene therapy space are SMEs or spin outs from universities. And I think they're recognizing very quickly that they need to be able to compete for talent within this global market. And it truly is a global market. I mean, as much as there is the, the kind of the strength in North America and parts of Europe, you know, we're now starting to see a huge amount of activity in the Far East. Um, and so there is a global opportunity for people to move and, and take on careers. But um, I think within in the industry itself, we're starting to see new um, new talent schemes or new retention schemes starting to emerge. So in the UK, for example, uh, there's what we call the ATAC scheme, which is the Advanced Therapy Apprenticeship Community. So this is trying to get um, uh, individuals at an earlier career stage, perhaps. So maybe when they're leaving school at the age of 15 or 16 to start taking on more of uh, the technical roles uh, within that space. But I think even beyond, we're starting to see some some advanced doctoral programs which are emerging, which are aligned very much with industry. So they're collaborating with industry partners in their doctoral degree so that, you know, once they complete, you know, they, they've got a good, good understanding of the technical requirements and then co- can go straight into industry, into that company that was sponsoring their project. Yeah, and I know, Christine, you have a lot to add to this, so I would love to hear your thoughts as well. Absolutely. Maybe just building on that, I think what we really need is this coordinated, collaborative effort across all sectors. So academia, industry, government, all hands on deck and working together really strategically. There was a great uh, report that was put out by BioTalent Canada and really highlighted the key gaps uh, in Canada, in in you know, in the area of talent, uh, one of them, of course, is is around VP and C level talent. So there's a need for more leadership development. And Admari uh, does have an executive institute that's focused just uh, exactly on that. But there's also a need for more talent, uh, early stage talent. Um, and uh, Admari also has a program in that area. But I think that's an area where we when, it, when we talk about uh, attracting and retaining, retaining is obviously a big piece because we have phenomenal academic institutions across the country. We need these young people to stay in Canada when they graduate. Uh, And one of the things that I would say is really key there is work integrated learning experiences, co-op programs, internships. So opportunities for these young people to get into industry, see what it's like. Um, and uh, so that exposure and that access, I think, will will build their excitement for staying, you know, in Canada and also in some of these exciting roles. Um, and and I, I can tell you as a professor at the University of Toronto, uh, more than 
90% of the graduates from my lab have gone on to industry. The ones that have stayed in Canada are often the ones that have engaged in these internships, these industry-related experiences. And oftentimes that leads to their first job. So they have a job when they graduate in Canada and they stay in Canada. Um, so I think that that's, a, that's really critical. And then the other unmet need that was identified in the Bio- BioTalent Canada report was around biomanufacturing. And of course, uh, the federal government uh, in, in partnership with a number of other organizations is doing a lot to really boost talent uh, in that area. Wonderful. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the cell and gene therapy MBI. And I'd love to know a little bit more about that program and what makes it so innovative and so interesting. Absolutely. So, I mean, so it's one, it's part of our uh, MBI program as a whole, which stands for Modules for the Bioprocess Industries. Um, so this is a program that's been running for about 25 years. Um, and the idea was always to enable industry delegates in particular to take short modules or courses, which last in the range of two to four days and in key areas. So things around fermentation, downstream processing. And the benefit of doing it this way is that because we have it accredited uh, and it's um, accredited by UCL so that by the time the uh, the industry delegates take a certain number of these modules, they can actually qualify with a master's uh, qualification at the end of it. So we created the cell and gene therapy one a few years ago, and it's been refined uh, constantly. And it's really designed in part to um, obviously train industry delegates who want to get a bit of a technical focus. But what was a bit surprising in, in, in I think, in a very good way is that we recognize there were lots of uh, delegates who are joining this program from other biotech industries, so from biologics and vaccine development, who are trying to get an understanding of what the nuances and subtleties and requirements were for things around cell and gene therapy so that they could specialize and develop and move forward. And that, for me, I think has to be part of the focus within cell and gene therapy as well, is that how can we attract talent from other biotech sectors, but also from other manufacturing sectors, not just within the biotech arena, but you know, from traditional automotive uh, production, for example, where we can implement things like Lean Six Sigma into our manufacturing processes, but also things like logistics and supply chain. And that's been one of the core elements as part of our training offering. So not just doing it at the, the master's level for students who, who are kind of in the early stages of their career, but also trying to uh, upskill uh, talent who are existing at companies already at companies and, and some of the, uh, as, as Christine alluded to, the C-level the suite. And Christine, in Canada, the Canadian Advanced Therapies Training Institute, the Canadian Alliance for Skills and Training in Life Sciences, they've all come onto this scene. Do you think we have enough training now? What more can we be doing? Or are we really starting to get there? I think we are absolutely starting to get there. I had the privilege uh, to attend the opening of Castle's uh, new biomanufacturing training facility in Charlottetown just a few weeks ago. And, and I know that they're providing hands-on training actually to some indus- industrial scientists this week. Um, so and we've got, they've got another new facility opening up in Montreal. Um, we've got, you know, facilities opening up really across the country. So I actually think the government uh, has invested in that area. There's obviously more investments that are needed, but uh, we are making, uh, you know, great headway in that area. We've also seen a lot of CDMOs launching and how shouldn't they be thinking about finding and recruiting staff in a labor shortage? So Christine, I'll get you into that as well. 
In terms of later labor shortages, one of the things that I'd also uh, like to draw attention to is is around equity, diversity, and inclusion. Um, and if we look at the bio at BioTalent Canada's recent report, we see that um, there's there's really underrepresentation from equity deserving groups uh, in the bioeconomy or the life sciences sector in Canada uh, when we compare the numbers to the total numbers in the Canadian workforce. So we're leaving a lot of talent, I think, on the sidelines, which is really um, very unfortunate actually for us because we know that diverse workforce uh, is more productive, creative, innovative. Um, so there's a lot of work I think that needs to be done uh, in, in that area and, and certainly structural and systemic barriers that need to be overcome. Kristen, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think for, from my perspective, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and I think it's certainly something that as we move forward, we're going to realize that we need a range of talents and, and skills. And that won't come from a particular demographic. It will come from a wide range of demographics and, you know, requires a, a wide range of skills and perspectives. You know, again, thinking of this as now a global industry, which it truly is, you know, we need to understand how to engage with global uh, and local regulators. We need to think about how we engage in, in global markets. Um, you know, we've seen some of the challenges uh, post-COVID and the response to the vaccines in terms of uh, public acceptance uh, and 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 some of the, the social aspects associated with biologics and, and new innovative medicines. And that's something that we really have to face head on within the cell and gene therapy industry. Whilst these are potentially transformative, curative therapies, we have to recognise that they are very, very inherently expensive at particularly you know at the at the current market rates for some of the technologies and, and therapeutic interventions that are currently available and that needs to be addressed both from a, a manufacturing standpoint to bring the cost of good down but also recognizing and explaining to the public why they're so expensive um, and and how we're trying to bring those costs down and make these therapies more globally accessible so that I think is a big challenge um, and that I think in part can be solved by you know attracting the right skill levels um, and, and getting more people involved more broadly. I think the other uh, thing that we have to, to recognise within this space is that if we don't uh, address the uh, labour shortage or, or, or the skills gap, then ultimately it will affect the entire sector and it will impact the ability to develop these therapies, to get them to patients who need them, uh, and the time it takes to get to develop these therapies. And I think that's really the, um, the, the challenge of not getting these therapies out there. But I think ultimately, post-COVID, I think there's recognition, certainly within the UK, I can't comment on Canada, but I'm, I, I, I'm convinced that this is also the case there, that the UK government certainly recognised the opportunity around high value manufacture within the biotech sector um, post COVID, um, especially in the, the ability to be resilient, develop a resilient manufacturing base, uh, to have a strong uh, supply of uh, key medicines. And I think that will work to our global advantage. I think, you know, certainly in the UK, we're now very much focused on developing those skills to support that. Um, and that's a key part of the 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 infrastructure that the UK is looking to develop. Uh, and I think that, you know, biomanufacturing globally now has a prominent role and is seen to be a, a key sector moving forward. Really, really important points as well. Now, we've talked a lot about how we are going to recruit this new talent. And so I wanted to get both of your thoughts on how we're going to retain them once we have recruited them. Christine, did you want to start? 
Sure. I think, you know, some of the same tactics or strategies need to be used for attraction and retention. Um, I, I would say that this then will come down to culture in some cases of the workplace. Um, of course, we have to be competitive in terms of salaries and incentive plans. And we also have to be flexible. The workforce now, I think, has very different expectations than they did a few years ago. Now that we're coming out of uh, the pandemic, uh, we have to be flexible when it comes to hybrid work environments, uh, the needs of, of families and individuals and uh, the, you know, their interest and, and an interest that they should have in their own personal wellness. Um, so I think it's it, there's a, there's change that's needed. And, and certainly this younger generation is, is demanding that change. Um, and this younger generation also cares very much about the commitments of these organizations to things like social justice causes. Um, so it's a different time. Um, I think, inter, uh, you know, organizations are going to have to listen to people, to be willing to learn and to change, um, and to be accommodating and flexible. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I think from my perspective, I think these are going to be key factors, I think, in any industry. Um, and I think it, there are certain nuances within biomanufacturing as a whole that we have to take into account um, and maybe change the way we operate and, and work. I mean, we have to be honest about certain things. For example, for those that are working on a more technical level and working on, quote unquote, the shop floor within a GMP manufacturing facility, is it the best environment to spend multiple years if you're kind of in a in a bunny suit and and you know you you've got lots of you know there's lots of restrictions on your movement and 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 the the controls that you have and and so on um you know often what we find is that those are critical roles but people only tend to stay maybe 12 24 months but the challenge that many companies have is that it often takes about 6 to 8 months to get people trained to take to take on those roles and if if there's this constant um uh, rotation of individuals uh, as people come and go, then that's both a significant cost, but also significant risk to any processes or products that are being developed. But so for, from my perspective, I think it's looking at the roles that we do have and, and what role technology plays in all of this. You know, I think the more we can automate, the better, I think, from every perspective in terms of the risk to the product, the um, the reproducibility of the of the final process and and, and product quality. But also, I think in terms of creating roles and opportunities where we don't necessarily need humans to be in a clean room we can have technologies that can enable that but the the roles that we are then creating are perhaps more uh, focused around data analysis and um and, and development of new technologies and you know looking at how we can extrapolate key information from some of the outcomes of these processes so it's perhaps you know often people are concerned about automation does that take away from um, you know the labor market and, and we're, we're, we're making people unemployed for me it's about saying well actually are we training in the right areas and as we look at society as a whole this digital transformation is going to become the next revolution it really is in my opinion and that's certainly going to be the case with biomanufacturing so how can we ensure that graduates from every level you know whether it's undergraduates whether it's postgraduates whether it's at the apprentice level or even higher up how do we ensure that people have the necessary skill set for the 21st century economy and society but also for 21st century biomanufacturing and that's kind of where i think the efforts in the training activities we're leading uh, are, are placed those are excellent points because i don't think i'd ever considered the challenge of having someone working in a clean room long term and how difficult it would be to retain someone at that level so i would 
like to thank both of you for joining us today. I know we're tight on time, but I wanted to end with one final question, if you don't mind. And Christine, I'll start with you. We've talked a lot about how companies can bring staff to this field, how we can retain them. But if we're talking to those young people who might be considering a career, what would you advise them in terms of why they might want to consider this? I just, I think I, if you look at the last few years, I mean, science and medicine are leading us out of this pandemic. Um, and I would think as a young person, you know, you'd want to be part of this because it's just uh, such meaningful uh, and exciting work. But I think we also, like I said before, need to give these young people access and exposure uh, to the meaningfulness and, and excitement, you know, in this field. And I will say my my oldest son is actually filling out his university application. So I had the pleasure of reading his essays and sub essays and wasn't sure what I was going to find. Um, but he talked about his experience uh, growing up at the University of Toronto, uh, you know, oftentimes if he was sick, I wouldn't do this now, but I would bring him to my office. He would sit in my office and I would do my work. He would sit in the front of my lecture and I would give my lecture. Um, and this is what's inspired him to go into science. So access and exposure and just showing them, you know, the power of science and medicine. I think young people will want to be part of that. Excellent. And Kasim, what do you think? I mean, I, I fully agree. And I think that the prominence uh, of biomanufacturing as a whole and bioprocessing, biotechnology, for me, is 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 going to be critical and, and getting that exposure and access to, to students at a young age. I, I think I'm, I'm really inspiring them. Um, I always, um, whenever I have a new batch of students and, 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 and a new undergraduate cohort or, or whatever it might be, for me, it's always trying to give them the overall vision. What are we trying to do here? We're really trying to create a whole raft of new therapies which are curative in nature, which will transform, uh, not just you know, extend our lifespans, but also improve quality of life and treat conditions we've never, you know, you know, considered in, you know, we would never be able to treat in, you know, using existing treatment mechanisms. So from my perspective, that's the ultimate goal is trying to inspire them with the vision. I often joke with our biochemical engineers, so we have a biochemical engineering undergraduate program. Um, I often joke that as biochemical engineers, we're trying to save the world, whether that be through developing new therapeutics, whether that be looking at industrial biotechnology and, and using you know, developing green energy resources, whereas our chemical engineering counterparts are doing the opposite in, in terms of destroying the planet and, and using, you know, oil and gas and so on. And I often use that as a, as a, as a, as a you know, a lighthearted way of being able to show the relevance and importance of the work that we do. And I think that it will take, you know, uh, a generation of engineers, scientists, computer scientists, biologists, life scientists, and 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 medical and clinical experts to be able to really deliver the next generation of therapeutics moving forward. Wonderful. Thank you both for joining me on the show today. I've appreciated learning from both of you, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'm Krista Lam, and you've been listening to Commercializing Living Therapies with CCRM. If you liked today's show, please be sure to share it with others. You can find more episodes at ccrm.ca backslash podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a question or comment about the show, email us at podcast at ccrm.ca or reach out to us on social media at ccrm underscore ca. Our hashtag for social media sharing is CCRM podcast. Thanks for listening.